Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Heartland Franchise Guide, your insider's guide to all things franchising in the local area. I'm Blake Martin, small business franchise owner and your Heartland Franchise Guy. This is the place for information, advocacy, resources, and education about the local franchising field and for entrepreneurs looking to learn more about the franchising industry. Today, our guest is Greg Cutchell with the Cutchell Management Company. Thanks so much for coming in. My pleasure. So, I'm going to embarrass you a little bit here, but I have no choice but go to the notes to talk about this guest. There's really nobody that is more synonymous with the franchising industry in this local market than Greg himself. And here's why. He's opened, developed, and acquired more than 120 different franchise businesses over a 30-year career. That includes Sonic, Domino's, Oklahoma Joe's, Paradise Bakery, Salty Senorita, Jam's American Grill, First Watch. You see where we're going here, right? Rock Bottom, Twin Peaks, Lolo Chicken and Waffles, and some vending and catering contracts over the year with venues around the area. Just as importantly, he and his organization have been on Inc.'s fastest growing three years in a row, been the chairman of the Multi-Unit Franchise Conference in Las Vegas, restaurateur of the year in 2020, named uh, to the top 10 Omaha employer list, and inducted into the Omaha Restaurant Hall of Fame in 2019. He hosts both the CMC, that's his cultural management company, charity golf tournament, and the Rock Bottom 5K Rock and Run for Charity. Combining those two, he supports more than at least a half a dozen local charitable organizations. In other words, folks, if you want to learn something about multiple brand, multiple unit franchise ownership, you probably don't want to fast forward this episode. Greg, thanks for tolerating that introduction, and thanks again for joining us. My pleasure. So did you always know you were going to be an entrepreneur? You know, not, yeah, I think so. I, uh, you know, I was growing up as a kid. My dad and uncle each had an A&W root beer stand. My dad's was on 24th and F Street in South Omaha. My uncle's was on 44th and Ames in, in North Omaha. And as a kid, I mean, I worked there since I was eight years old, started selling popcorn in the parking lot to our guests, and, and uh, of course, uh, stayed with the company and worked my way up uh, to uh, inside job, I guess you could call it, uh, in the kitchen and on the tap. And I guess when I was 15, 14, 15, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to own my own A&W Rupert stand when I grew up. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, but we always lived in apartments, you know, uh, it, you know, uh, work, my dad worked all the time, you know, and I really, uh, fell in love with photography and, uh, got serious about photography my junior and senior year in high school and, uh, changed my mind. I was going to become a professional photographer and no kidding. was accepted and enrolled, enrolled into Brooks Institute and, in, uh, photography in Santa Barbara. There was a two year waiting list. You had to submit a portfolio. I mean, you had to be a wow. photographer to begin with. I was on my, of course, my yearbook, uh, editor, uh, photography editor, and uh, had won some awards already in, in local competitions. So um, that's that's what I was going to pursue. And uh, they required a year of college. And uh, so I thought, well, my folks were divorced. My, my mom lived in Tucson, which is where I grew up. But I spent every summer here in Omaha. 
my dad moved out here to go in business with my uncle. And uh, so I thought, well, it'd be a good time to spend a year in Omaha with my dad. Well, Brooks only required a 26 hours of, of uh, classes. Um, so that's, of course, all I took. I wasn't really <laughs> interested in college that much. And we'll come to find out the draft was still active there. Of course, I knew that, but I thought I had a student deferment. Well, I was four hours short of a student deferment, and that's when they had the lottery, and I pulled number 26 out of 365, and I was a goner. Um, I uh, called the draft board and said, hey, I'll be full-time. This was May, April, May, and I said, I'll be full-time in September. They go, nice try. You know, everybody <laughs> would do that. So uh, you, you'll probably get pulled in October, November. And I go, oh, boy. So uh, I moved back to Tucson because I wanted to get um, boot camp somewhere warm. <laughs> so I thought if I was in Tucson and I enlisted in the Navy or the Naval Reserve, I'd get stationed in San Diego. Uh-huh. And uh, we did. Um, got my got my ID sworn in, called Brooks. They said, well, you know, all right, let us know when you're done with your military obligation. And, and uh, ironic, crazy thing happened. I played tennis in high school, and a friend of mine and I were out playing tennis the day before I was uh, reporting to boot camp. Literally had my airplane ticket, my ID, and uh, I'd left the ground a lot playing tennis and did it a million times. But this one time, my leg dislocates at my kneecap. My thigh bone goes into my kneecap. Chips, oh, my goodness. Chips a piece of my kneecap off. And uh, he carried me to the car and took me to the hospital and, you know, had to take do surgery and, and called my draft board guy. And I go, I mean, you can call Tucson General. I'm here. I didn't. I did, it was not self-inflicted. Believe me, it hurts like heck. And uh, he says, okay, Greg, just report back in six weeks for a physical. Well, this went on for like a year and a half. And I had no insurance. I had no job. And back then they discriminated, you know, they wouldn't hire you if you were a one or, you know, and heck I was enlisted. I mean, sworn in. So, uh, I, uh, was selling Cutco cutlery and wherever cookware, you know, cause they'd hire anybody cause it's yeah. commission only did pretty well at it, made rookie of the year in the San Francisco region. And, and, uh, uh, but didn't really care to do that. Didn't really want to do that lifetime. You know, you'd call on, uh, young single gals that are, putting their hope chest together and, and, you know, it's $3.55 a week. You can have this beautiful set of cutlery for the rest of your life. It's $3.50. <laughs> and, and I shouldn't say that because I don't remember the numbers. It was a, it's very high quality stuff and, and I was proud to sell it. So nothing derogatory against that, but I, some of these girls couldn't afford it. They were buying it anyway, cause I was really good at what I was doing. <laughs> so, you know, went in for three or four physicals. They just kept saying, check back. So I thought, well, you know what, I know I can get a job in Omaha. Mm-hmm. So I moved back to Omaha um, and uh, was going to work at uh, Cork and Cleaver where my brother worked. And uh, my uh, um, my dad, but that time, him and two other guys owned the, uh, started opening Kentucky Fried Chicken stores. Okay. And my dad was a minority partner. Uh, my uncle was a, a majority and then they had another partner. And my uncle didn't really want me to go work for Cork and Cleaver. He wanted me to come work at Kentucky Fried Chicken because he already lost one son to Cork and Cleaver. <laughs> so uh, um, I said, well, Dad, you know, they can draft me in any day. He goes, I don't care. You come work for me. So I did. I started working at a Kentucky Fried Chicken store and uh, discovered while I was there that there was a real untapped opportunity for catering. The KFC stores had always catered. Um, but Cub Scout banquets, things like that. 
But their idea of catering back in those days was a cardboard box, line it with aluminum foil, throw 100 pieces of chicken in it, and <laughs> hand it to the guest. We'd take uh, five, uh, gallon jars of old mayonnaise jars and clean them and scrape off the label and fill them with coleslaw. And I go, boy, there's got to be a better way. <laughs> so my dad was quite a marketer, and uh, I kind of took the idea to him, and I said, I think there's a real opportunity. Nobody's gone after what I would call casual catering or economy catering. And he says, you're right. I said, I think we could work on this packaging. So we went to Omaha Box, had them help us design a box that held three steam sable-sized trays. And uh, went to Wilkinson's Manufacturing in Fort Calhoun, got the aluminum trays that fit just right. Mm -hmm. Put together a box that basically had um, chicken, coleslaw, beans, rolls, plates, napkins, forks, tablecloths, serving utensils. This box weighed... I don't know, 15, 20 pounds full, and it would serve 30 people. So we coined it uh, the Colonel's Buffet, Great Parties Made Simple for three ninety five a person, which is all we charged back then. I'm impressed that you remember that exact language, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, my uncle's partners were real resistant, and, you know, we pushed on it and pushed on it, but, you know, we weren't in the position just to force it, so... I started looking for another career and uh, um, put in my notice, and, and my uncle comes wheeling down in his big old red convertible Cadillac and convinced me, he says, you stay, we'll let you try that catering thing for a while. And I go, look, I'll work straight commission. He goes, nah, we'll make, your pay will stay the same and take a week off, and when you come back, you're catering manager. Well, the good news is my dad was in charge of marketing, so he took... <laughs> The whole, I don't know if it was a quarter or a month of our local marketing budget, and all we promoted was catering, and it exploded. We, uh, in three years, I took their catering from 20000 a year to half a million. Wow. Back then, that's what a regular Kentucky Fried Chicken store did. So, but we opened this catering department for fifty grand. It cost half a million, you know. So next thing you know, I'm in the trade magazines, I'm on the covers of restaurant magazines, I'm speaking at the national KFC convention in front of 3,000 people, and I'm 21 years old or 20 years old. So I go, you know, this restaurant business isn't so bad if I don't have to work at one <laughs> restaurant 60 hours a week. <laughs> so that's kind of how I got my start and decided I really liked it. And, uh, um, you know, of the brands you mentioned that I've developed and owned and operated and franchised over the years... About, a, uh, I'd say, 20% of those aren't franchises. They're either concepts I developed yeah. or concepts I acquired, like Jams, um, Mouth of the South, uh, Salty Senorita, Kasai, Lettuce Express. Um, all of those are what we call our independent brands. Right. Really, you know, I've considered franchising. I would tell you that they're so chef-driven that I don't feel comfortable uh, franchising them because uh, we've had inquiries. Okay. Uh, a new concept that we just recently developed called Lettuce Express is potentially a franchisable vehicle for us, but it's very uh, in its emphasis stages. Um, I found a brand similar in Phoenix. They didn't franchise. If they would, I probably would have bought it because they had it down at 33 locations in Phoenix. It's like a Scooters. It's a drive-through, a little kiosk drive-through with um, a 10 salads to pick from, a, a good size, 48 ounce with chicken. Uh, I think in Phoenix they're six ninety five, and we're seven ninety five because we don't have their buying power just yet. And the uh, the 
feedback that we've received has been very encouraging, and we're cons- uh, consistently looking for our second location. We want to get three or four of them open yeah. before we take them to the market. But here's a franchise you can open, no hoods, no fryers, you know. Right. Uh, your refrigeration, of course, you need. A thousand square feet, low overhead, and uh, probably get in business for under two hundred thousand. You know, depending on um, how much landlord money you get, and, yeah. and uh, you know, if it's a second generation spot. Our, our first location um, is one hundred forty fifth and Maple at a former donut professor. So you know, the restrooms were there, uh, but otherwise, we pretty much redid it. Either way, pretty yeah. uh, pretty small nut for a it food is. and beverage business. It really is, yeah. So you have people, and then we have a dollar iced teas and dollar lemonade, so a person can go in there and get change back from ten bucks and get a big salad and and uh, and a big drink and on their way. We do nice. them in wraps as well. You can get them if you don't want them in a bowl. We'll put them in a wrap for you, and eventually we'll roll out some sort of a breakfast item. We're just not ready yet. In Phoenix, they have breakfast burritos. Just to, I think people on their way to work will grab a breakfast yeah. burrito and get a salad, take it to work, throw it in the refrigerator, you know. So pretty excited about the uh, potential of that one. Congratulations Thank on you. that. Thanks. So you've got all these different types of entrepreneurial pursuits, as you described. Some of them are franchising, some of them are your own startups, thinking about expanding others. And of course, this isn't your first rodeo with any of those. Sure. How did it all start going from that role at KFC? What, was there a particular tipping point when you said, I'm going to own my own thing? Yeah. Um, actually, um, unfortunately, after we developed the catering thing, my father passed away from a heart attack just a few years later. So I was only 27. My uncle and his partner came to me and said, well, we hope you plan on staying. We want, you're doing a great job. And we, you know, we want to keep you. And I go, yeah, I've got no other plans. Always had a side business. I had a video game route um, while I worked for KFC because I never felt like they were paying me enough. They should have given me that commission deal. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, but, but they kept promoting me. I became, uh, I formed advertising co-ops with uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken stores that my company that I worked for didn't own. And that increased our advertising, local advertising budget by a third by getting these other stores in Lincoln and Fremont that we didn't own. Uh, to contribute to our TV buys. So then they promoted me director of marketing, eventually vice president. Uh, my father passed away in 77. Um, and then in 86, my my uncle and his partner decided to sell. And I thought, this is my chance. I'm their golden hair boy. They'll make this deal right for me. And I went and sat down with my uncle. And I go, well, I'm, I'm interested. And he looked at me like I was crazy, you know. <laughs> making 50 grand a year at KFC and 50 grand a year at my video game route. And the deal was 6.2 million <laughs> at a net worth about a couple hundred grand, whatever my house and a couple of rental properties were worth right. in my video game route. Um, and uh, he says, well, go for it. You know, I go, well, would you carry some back? Eh, I don't think we can do that. And uh, I go, okay. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll get back with you basically. And, and, uh, so, well, we got buyers coming in tomorrow. I go, what? <laughs> so I was competing against some big executive from Kentucky Fried Chicken corporate that wanted to buy it. Well, at that time, lucky for me, RJ Reynolds tobacco company owned Kentucky Fried Chicken, like Cube Line used to own them, Pepsi used to own them. You know, they were always owned by some big conglomerate. Right. And, <clears throat> um, they started a credit corporation with all their cigarette money 
that they were willing to loan to Kentucky Fried Chicken franchisees okay. to expand, remodel, you know, acquire one small problem. I wasn't a franchisee. I was an employee of a franchisee. So I called the president at KFC because I knew him. We became friends. And I go, buddy, I need a favor. I said, you know, they're selling the stores in Omaha. You know I'm the guy to own them. And uh, I know R.J. Reynolds has his credit corp. And uh, I would, uh, but I'm not a franchisee. And he goes, Greg, you've done us so many favors over the years with the catering and stuff. Uh, let me make a phone call. And sure enough, they, they agreed. And uh, within a week, I had a commitment letter for $5.2 million. Wow. They were very impressed yeah. with you. They wanted, they wanted me to, you know, come in with a million. So of course I go back to my uncle and his partner and guys, 1 million bucks. I we can close this deal in 60 days. Eh, I don't think we can do that. We'll carry back 200,000. So I needed 800 grand to get the deal done. And I tried everything. And, uh, unfortunately for me, the guys who are willing to loan it to me were one of my video game customers uh, that owned like 17 Godfather's pizzas. And they were friends. They're, I seemed like good guys. And they said, Greg, we'll come up with the 800 grand, but we'll, we want 80%. I go, jeez. But we'll, give, we'll make you president. We'll pay you 100 grand a year, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I go, all right, let's do it. So we did it. And, uh, um, you know, I was with them for about three years, uh, opened two new stores, remodeled five old stores. I won the operator of the year at the KFC convention for highest award they give out during that time. And during that time, of course, I'm training their Godfather's guys how to run KFC. Uh-huh. And uh, um, after three years, they decided they really didn't need me anymore. So they, they merged the company with another company and pretty much squeezed me out. Well, they didn't give me a fair price for my, for my, in, my shares. We ended up going to court. The, the attorneys got most of that. But they mm-hmm. did have to buy me out of my employment contract. So I uh, left there with a uh, little over 150000 bucks, and started Cutchell Management. I bought a uh, Julio's that was going broke in Lincoln for fifty grand, And then the first phone call I made was Popeye's because these guys weren't bright enough to get me to sign a non-compete clause. <laughs> 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 or they didn't, have, they didn't think I had the gumption to do it, I don't know. But yeah, that was, I mean, I was talking to Popeye's within a week, and they said, come down to see us. We, we know about you and we want you on our team. And I remember meeting with uh, Bill Copeland and Al Copeland. Uh, Al was the founder of Popeyes and uh, great guys. And I said, guys, I, uh, I don't have the funds to you know, lock up a whole market and commit to eight stores and whatever. But I said, you know, let me open a store and it works. I'll keep opening them. And, and they said, well, he says, son, you keep opening stores and we'll keep everybody else out of there. You don't have to sign nothing except for your, each franchise agreement. I go, okay. So I took an old Church's Fried Chicken building on 40th and Dodge. And prior to that time, the highest volume KFC store in uh, Omaha, or Nebraska, $20,000 a week. I mean, that was yeah. hallelujah. Nobody does that. That's a million-dollar clip. My Popeyes opens at 40th and Dodge and does 42,000 its first week. We were on the <laughs> new, we're causing traffic jams. And of course, I knew right where their best stores were. So 31st right. and Farnham at the time was the best KFC. It won sales volumes awards year after year. 
So I opened as close to that as I could. And, uh, of course, mutual friends of me and my partners, uh, ex-partners, were saying, you didn't get Cutchell to sign it. <laughs> you got some egg on your face, boys. <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, then their number two location became their number one location. Well, the landlord was a friend of mine. I knew the lease was coming up. I was at 43rd and L Street. Gave him a call. Long story short, he decided he wanted me back and did a Popeyes there, and I, I got him removed from their highest volume, which was now their highest volume location. So I had some fun with it. We had some cool marketing stunts we pulled that uh, really put us on the map and eventually opened 10 Popeyes and acquired two existing ones in Lincoln. So that was really my start. And once I built out the market, you know, I always had a little side business. When I say business, like I bought a bar on 46 in Farnham called Three Cheers. Uh-huh. I just love the place. And uh, so when I mention the brands and concepts and stuff that I've developed or bought or operated that aren't franchise, it's, it kind of helps me with my creative juices. Yeah. You know, because franchise, you know, you need to follow the rules. And that's okay. That's why they're successful. That's why they have a lot of locations. But I'm a little bit of a renegade, and I like to try stuff, you know. And so I've, although I've always had a franchise of one kind or another, or several, um, I've always had independent brands that I operated and, yeah. and developed and stuff. So that kept things interesting for me. Yeah. And uh, you know, I try and find uh, great people and, and great businesses, and get them up and get them going. And then I like to move on to the next deal and turn, you know what I've developed over to some people that I've trained. I'm still hands-on and still involved and still make the major decisions, but that's been key to my growth is is, is keep uh, partnering with the right guys. And a lot of times it's just a sweat equity position where they don't put any money in. Sometimes, sometimes they don't have any equity. You know, I I say that for select few that are seem to be excelling Mm -hmm. and it's paid off. I've got guys with me for 20 some years now that stayed with me through different concepts and everything. That's going to wrap up part one of our conversation with Greg Cutchell. Too many good conversations to cut anything short. So thanks for listening and get ready for part two. A Huda Media Production.